This morning, um, I want to share with you this topic, who knows my grievances? If you have my PowerPoint, thank you. Who knows my grievances in Psalm 123. Uh, today, as we continue with the study of the book of uh, Psalm, uh, Son of Ascents, Psalm 123. As you, when you read the psalm together with me, you can hear, you can hear the grievances of the psalmist actually express it together, okay? Let's read together. To you, I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of the master, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of the of mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the scorn of the proud. A very simple four verses of the psalm, and yet you can hear the grievances inside. What is a grievance? Grievance is something that is hurting inside that most of the time you can't say it for whatever reason, okay? You can't say it. So you struggle inside and you try to get it out. You can't because of people, because of circumstances, because of whatever, or your choice. Because when you say it, it's worse. And the psalmist was struggling with grievance in the heart. And I know that this is not his only experience. And I know that just within the congregation here, and probably everybody, every one of us, have grievance of some sort, of some intensity. So today we can really relate to the psalmist's experience experience as we study this psalm together. And there are three movements in the psalm. First of all, verses 1 and 2, we look up to the Lord. We look up to the Lord. You know, most psalm begins with complaints. Most psalm begins with pain and suffering. God, I'm unfairly treated. You know, I'm in pain. I don't want to live anymore. Please come and help me. Later, I will trust in you, Lord. Your, your name is to be praised. I will trust you. But oftentimes, the trust in God comes later in the Psalms. And Psalm 123 is unique. It is unusual that from the very beginning, it says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Lord, I look up to you. It is an expression of faith and confidence in God at the very beginning which is not usual for most psalms. Maybe he was so tormented by his pains that the only way to relieve his pains is to cry out to God first before he states the source of the torments later. You know, it is important to pay attention to the gesture of the psalmist. He says, to you I look up, I look up to the Lord. They are those who look down on God. They ridicule the believers. They mock those who follow Jesus. They trash God. And they are those who look like an equal, equal to God. They report to no one. They respect no one. They only trust their own abilities and drive. They are worshipers of themselves. They are self-made God. 
And now they are those who look up to God. That's you and me, believers in God, believers and followers of Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that without God, we are lost like sheep without a shepherd. We believe that Jesus is the true vine and we are the branches. And when the branches are detached from the vine, there is no life and there is no power to do anything that is honoring God. Like John chapter 15, verse 5, that says, Jesus says, For apart from me, you can do nothing. So when the psalmist looked up to God, he put his trust in God at the very beginning of the Psalms. And we remember in Psalm 121, as we began our journey of study, the book of Ascents, Ascent, Song of Ascents together, it says, the psalmist looks to the hills. I look up to the hills from whence my help come. My help come from God who makes the heavens and the earth, right? He looks to the creation and then he remembers the creator. Here, the psalmist in Psalm 123 looks directly to God. He said, I look to the Lord who are enthroned in the heavens. He acknowledges that God sits on the throne. God is king. He acknowledges that God is the mighty king. If you remember Psalm 29 verse 10, Psalm 29 verse 10 that says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. When the world, when the river is flooding, when the area is flooding, the Lord sits enthroned. He's in charge. He's in control. And the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. That's the kind of faith that he has as he looks up to the Lord. But when you look at verses 2 and 4, you begin to see that the personal pronoun changes from singular to plural. Okay? In verse 1, he says, To you I lift up my eyes. And then in subsequent verses, he says, Our eyes look up to the Lord till He has mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Lord, for we have more than enough contempt. Our soul has had enough of that you can see that the singular is being transformed into plural. It is moving from personal lament to a community lament. Maybe the psalmist is representing the suffering community in uttering the most genuine cry to God for His intervention. God intervened. Not just me, but everybody has grievances that we can't even utter at times. And that's the most painful ones. You know, we are all in this together, right? Look at those popular songs. You, you hardly hear popular songs that talks about in harmony and beauty and everything works out and wonderful and I love you, love me, and we are happily ever after. Those are exceptions. Those songs is like 1% or 5%. But most of the popular songs that really touch the hearts of people that people resonate with, are the songs that say, oh, I'm leaving on a jet plane. Don't know when I will be back again. You know, I hate to see you go. Please stay. Or don't forget to remember me. I still love you. And, and I know that I won't, we, we can't be together again, but please remember me, you know, walking away brokenhearted. You know, those are the popular songs that people love to sing. Why? Because we identify with those experiences, right? We identify 
with those experiences. Grievances is a common experience. We are all in this together. You can see the movement from I, personal experience, to we, our, common experiences. We are all in this together. And he gave two metaphors about how we look to God intently. First of all, as a servant looking intensely at the master's hand, waiting for any sign of merciful act. God, help me. So he pay attention to God and says, any signs that God is helping. And then the second metaphor is like a maid, now a lady, eagerly gazing at the mistress' body language to see any indication of her willingness to respond mercifully to the maid's pleading. So the psalmist long for God's intervention. You know, in the midst of grievances, that's how we feel. We long for intervention. Someone, some divine power who is able to intervene and bail us out of this trouble, take us out of the pit of depression, take us out of these grievances, these troubles that inflict us, and oftentimes you can't even verbalize it. That's the pain of the psalmist. I like the way a paraphrased version called the message, put it this way, he says, we are watching and waiting, holding our breath, awaiting your word of mercy. Holding our breath, like, please. That's how he felt. I, I don't know whether you are in the situations like that. But as the psalmist has indicated, pay attention to God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. He says, we look up to the Lord. Not as equal, not down, but look up because he sits enthroned in the heavens. In you know, Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Whom have I in heaven but you? Not the stars, not the you know, moons, and not the... Uh, constellation or the milky ways, but I look to God. That's all I have. Everything will pass away, but God will last forever. God will be eternal. That's where I look to. You know, what avenues will help you and me to look up to God? Let me give you five suggestions. One, through press. Through press, we plead for the mercies of God. Second, through worship. Through worship, we exalt the mercies of God. And third, through remembrance, through our history, through our walk with the Lord, through remembrance. Through remembrance, we recall the mercies of God. Number four, through His creation. Through creation, we reflect on the mercies of God. Look at the creations and remember the Creator. Number five, through the cross of Jesus, through the cross of Jesus, we are touched by the mercies of God, by the love of God, by the grace of God. You know, these are the five avenues that Christians all has it. We all have it. God has given that to us through His salvation and redemption. Through prayers, through worship, through remembrance, through creation, 
and through the cross of Jesus. And that's what will bring you to look up to God and remember that. Secondly, the second movement, he takes us into trust in his mercies. In fact, this is a continuation at the end of verse 2 when he says, Till he has mercy upon us. Then verse 3 says, Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Enough. Can't take it anymore. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Three times. You know, this is not just a statement. This is a cry. This is a cry out to God. He cried out to God. Can you hear the desperation of the psalmist? And sometimes we are like that. Desperate. God intervene. Have mercy on us. Mercy, the word mercy, literally it means to look favorably upon. When we say God's mercy, it means God looks at you favorably. He brings favor to you. That's mercy. And usually it is given to those who are in misery, who are suffering, who have tribulations, who are tormented. That's why you need mercy. And mercy is given to those who are in need. Especially in this case here, those who are in grievance, who can't even articulate the grievances in the heart. And the need for God's favor is because injustice has been done to the, to the children of God. Okay, Verses 3 and 4, you can see that he says, more than enough two times. More than enough. Enough is enough, God. And I was in contempt two times. And I was a scorn, the scorn of those people, those who are at ease. What is the source? Where does it come from? To those who are wealthy and powerful and arrogant people. That's how it describes here. Those who are at ease and those who are arrogant. They inflict all these pains on me. And you know what? I can't even fight back. And I suffer in silence. And that source can be from the foreigners, the Gentiles. And it can be also from the fellow Israelites that can bring this pain to the psalmist. You know, both groups can bring grievances to you. And sometimes more so from your own people. You know why? Because the foreigners give you pain and ultimately they go away. And your own people, they stay around. They are family members. They are siblings. They are your relatives. They are your small groups. <laughs> they are your church members. They are all around, week after week, day after day. And whenever you see them, you are reminded of those grievances. And that can be very painful. How many of you cry out like that to God? You know, Lamentations reminds us to cry out and have faith in God. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We just sang that song. Great is your faithfulness. Why? Because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And you know what? His mercies, His mercies never come to an end. And that's why when we cry out to the mercies of God, He shows favors upon us and allow us to come back to Him and be 
revived in our hearts. And then he takes us to the third movement. Why does this happen? Why am I crying out to God for mercies? Why am I looking up to God? Because we live with our grievances. As I share, usually for most Psalms, begin with this and say, oh, I have just all these troubles in my heart, you know. Then I have faith in you. And then God come and help me. But this, this Psalm just reverses it uh, to express our grievances towards the end. A soul has had more than enough of the scorns of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Again, the message, paraphrase it in this way. He said, kick in the teeth by complacent rich men. We are kicked when we are down by arrogant brutes. And I'm down. Just leave me alone. But they kick on you. And they kick on your teeth to humiliate, to insult. And that's very, very painful. We live with grievances. When do you feel grieved? When you are blamed for things that you did not do. As a client told his psychologist, I am a loser because my dad is alcoholic. And the psychologist counseled the client and said, have you ever thought that maybe your dad is alcoholic because you are a loser? Isn't that human nature to blame everybody else but you? I'm in such a state of misery. It's because family of origin, circumstances, the school didn't teach me well, the teachers were not responsible, and when I grew up, there was no mentor, and I don't have a big brother, and it's everybody else but you. It's called human nature. It's called selfishness. Now, there are Pains and sufferings could come from other people. But you and I are neither perfect either. Sometimes we are blamed for things that we didn't do. Other times, grievances come because you are framed. Have you been framed? In the workplace, it's called office politics. Smart people usually come from smart people. And they work together. They gang up together. They have a clever scheme, and you fall into it. There's no way out. You take the blame. Some grievances come because you are bullied or oppressed. Usually, it comes from powerful and angry people. And you know what? When it comes to you, you know you can't win. You can't. You can't fight back. But you are angry too. The angers are suppressed. Because you can't fight back. You swallow your pride. You bite your tongue. You suffer in silence. Grievance. Other times, you may be blackmailed. You have done something foolish. And they know about that. And they use it against you to silence you. Don't you talk. Don't you tell. Because if you tell, I'm going to expose this. And it will be very awkward. We are in a small industry, and everybody will know about that. You know, some views that Psalm 123 is written by David. And it is possible because David knows grievances personally. Remember after David slaughtered Goliath, 
and he became a threat to King Saul. And he was targeted by King Saul many, many times. And his grievances just keep adding up. Two times, King Saul tried to spear him to death, but he escaped. And then he found another way, maybe to marry King Saul's daughter, Micah, to, to David. Hopefully, you know, this alliance may work out. It didn't. And in order to marry the king's daughter, Micah, uh, David has to slaughter 100 Philistines and get the foreskin as a proof. See, the scheme is hopefully he will die in the hands of the Philistines. But God's mercy was upon David. He slaughtered 200. And King Saul was not happy. And since David was such a good warrior, so King Saul keeps sending him out for battle hoping that the enemies will take care of him. The enemies will just slaughter him. It didn't work. God was with him. God's mercy was with him. He was victorious all the time. And finally, King Saul pursued David personally in a personal military campaign to hunt him down all over the land, all across the land. The mercies of God sustained David. You know, maybe that's why there are so many psalms that are written by David. Because he pours out his grievances through the writing of the poems, through the writing of the psalms. He is no stranger to grievances. For some of you, you remember or you will know through life that grievances just don't die out. They keep coming back. It's an unending cycle. It never goes away. For those who are serving, your good intention may be misconstrued as something else. And that's very painful. Because you really have a very innocent and simple heart to serve. And yet people may not understand. Other people may say something that question your integrity, that question your character, and that question your intention, especially those are very painful. If they question your competency, the job not done well, there's a better way of doing that, you can take it, but when they question who you are and your identity and your intention, that's very, very painful. And usually, usually they come from your own people. You don't even know how to fight back because they are your family. And for those who are leaders, sometimes you see something coming up, you see something that needs to be dealt with and need to be talked about, and you talk about that, but others, they don't see it. Leaders are those who are able to see far and wide and begin to prepare and anticipate for the sake of the whole organization, for the sake of the company, for the sake of the whole ministry, but not everybody has that far-sightedness to be able to see. And they're like, hey, why, why do you worry? We have enough worry nowadays, okay? It hasn't happened yet. It wouldn't happen. How do you know it will happen? And you feel lonely. <laughs> and people feel like you, maybe you try to make a name for yourself. Maybe you are overreacting. Grievances. Sometimes a mother seeing misunderstanding from children, a husband seeing grievance 
that is being inflicted on him when the marriage is not as harmonious as he hoped for. Everybody has grievances. Where does it end? Where does it end? Where would it end up? You know what? Ultimately, it ends at the cross of Jesus. Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 5. He says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteem him not. We don't respect him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You know, grievances ultimately end at the cross of Jesus. It is at the cross of Jesus, through his suffering, his grievance, he suffered in silence without fighting back. He accomplished the salvation so that he brings peace and he brings healing of all the grievances that may be still brewing in our hearts. At the cross of Jesus, we find reconciliation. We find the peace of God upon us. I hope that's where you end up at the cross of Jesus. So I feel that the message for Psalm 123 is really this. God's mercy, God's mercy demonstrated on the cross is the comfort for the unbearable grievances in our hearts. God's mercy demonstrated on the cross is the comfort for the unbearable grievances in our hearts. I want to share, share with you two applications. How do we work with people who are grieved with grievances in the heart? First, be a listener. Be a listener. You know, one of the greatest joy in Mongolia was I was able to see 12 of my graduates from Singapore Bible College when I was teaching there. There were like 12 students who graduated and they went back to Mongolia to serve. Ten of them are Mongols. They only speak Mongols. And two of them are Chinese Mongols. They lived there. They were born there. They grew up there. So they have a Mongolian citizenship, but they are Chinese, so they speak Chinese and Mongol language. I was able to see them and talk to them and hear their stories and hear the, 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 the ministry and I pray for them and encourage them. And I remember specifically one student. Well, he's, he's a pastor. He was called for five years to head up an, an organization, a Christian organization that has like hundreds of churches. They have like 700 churches. I think that organization, you know, oversees about 200, 300 churches. Uh, they work together. Uh, it is like, a, like a, a coordination of different works there. And you know, when you, when you deal with like 200, 300 pastors, it's very challenging because pastors are very driven people. Pastors are people with convictions. And when we have convictions, we are strong-headed. We are very, very uh, stubborn in some ways because this is my conviction. I believe in this, right? And he has to lead that group. 
to work together for the good of the churches in Mongolia among the evangelicals. I mean, he, he, he goes this way and some people are not happy. He goes that way and some people are not happy. He does nothing. Nobody's happy either. You know, you can't please. You just can't. And then people talk behind his back. People alienate him. People ostracize him. He, he just had four or five years of pain and grievance. And he can't tell. So when I was there, actually he was supposed to share the church that he's pastoring right now, the ministries that he's heading right now. No, it didn't happen. For two hours, he just poured out his grievances. He just poured out his hurts and woundedness and pains and, and being misunderstood and nobody talked to me. I have no friends. I am lonely. I, I wonder why am I getting into this? Just nonstop for two hours. You know what? I have no answer for that. I don't live there. I don't know the culture. I don't know the churches. I can't give any answer, but I was only listening and pray for him and encourage him and allow him to just pour out all the pains and grievances in his heart. And, and that's all he needs. He said, thank you. You are my professor. You are my teacher. So I can tell you this. And then in, in a week or so, you will leave this place. So words don't pass around that I, I gripe and complain. So you are my only source that I can talk, my, my, I can pour out my heart to you. And God used me for that two hours just to be a listener. You know, sometimes we, we give answer too quickly. Sometimes we give standard answers as Christians. Oh, just, just pray more and read the Bible more and trust in God more. You know, come to worship more and serve more. Do they help? You sure? Are those answers to his problems? Maybe not. Because none of that solved his problems yet. He has to go through all this. He is waiting for a listening ear and empathy and understanding. That's all he needs. And by God's grace and God's wisdom, I was able to give that to him. Be a listener. Don't give answer too quickly, especially men like me. Secondly, point them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. We don't have answers. We can listen. We can, we can solve the problem. We don't have answers, but Jesus has the answer. Jesus has the answer. In 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 19 and 21 says, For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Suffering unjustly brings you grievances. He says, it's a gracious thing to do if you are able to remember God and endure the sorrow that comes with injustice. Why? Where is the power? Verse 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. 
we are called to follow Jesus in his steps. Jesus walked ahead of us. He was dealt with injust. He has dealt, uh, injustice has been uh, uh, dealt with him. And, and he dealt with that in silence and in submission to accomplish the salvation. And that becomes an example for us to follow. That you may follow in his step because he is the example. And even saying that is not easy. It takes a process. It takes a while to really come to the point where you and I understand there's no other way out. We, husband and wife, there's no other way out. We have to forgive each other. We have to accept each other. So let's come to the cross of Jesus and learn how to accept and to forgive each other and continue to live our lives for the glory of God. There's no other options. We are God's family. We must work together. So I need to lay down my strong opinions. I need to listen to your opinions and see if something can be worked out together. Where some components of your plan may be in there and some components of my plan can be in there and together we can do it for the glory of God. We are a family. We are God's family. There's no choice. We have to work together to testify the goodness of the Lord. So when he leaves an example for you and I to follow in his steps, that's where we will take our step, in his step. Be a listener and point them to Jesus, but more importantly, point yourself and myself to Jesus. We have to come to Jesus, come to the cross. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we really identify with the psalmist because we have grievances too. In fact, every day. And we still carry grievances in our hearts, even this morning. But I pray that when the psalmist pours out his heart to us and to point us to Jesus, I pray that we will not tally, we will not find excuses, that we will not procrastinate and let the other party start first and say first and apologize first, but we will take the step because you want us to follow in his steps. May your word and may your spirit soften our hearts to take the first step, to follow in his step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.